So you've got some Bibles on your seats there. We're going to be on page 677 here in a few minutes. I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 5. So if you want to turn there and get a head start. While we're doing that, I've got a few announcements. Um, as always, we have our programs on the coffee table. The October-November bookmarks are in there for our Bible reading plan that we're doing together as a church. They're pretty handy. Um, if you want to grab one of those, you can also read the daily scriptures on the, app, the RC app, and you can download that by searching We Are Restore on your app store if you haven't done that already. Um, the app has a lot of features, and the daily reading is one of them. Um, there's also connection cards. Let us know what's going on in your life. How can we be praying for you? That kind of a thing. If you have any questions about what's coming up in the fall, I'm going to mention a few announcements here. If you have questions about any of these, uh, let us know. Uh, the Kid City News is also in the program. We're trying to expand our Kid City offerings and, and what we can do. And now that we actually have dedicated kid space in the fall, or I mean in this church, we want to expand it this fall. And we need, we're looking for um, probably like eight to ten more people. Who, if you're, So if you're not serving in Kid City, we would love for you to serve once a month. Think about doing that. And if you're just chomping at the bit and you're like, I want to, I want to serve in Kid City, you can fill that out on your connection card. And then uh, we have a weekly Bible study, a weekly women's Bible study that's happening this fall. It's Wednesday nights in the living room. I would highly encourage you to check that out. Um, that's from 7.30 to 9 p.m. at the living room every Wednesday night this fall. And then the men's retreat is coming up November 9th through 11th. If you went on it last year, it was epic. Um, every fear or nervousness you might have about going on a men's retreat, just throw that out the window because we know how to roll at Restore, okay? It's, it's a really good time, both spiritually and physically and like all the great things that would, you would think would come of the weekend away. It's awesome. It's going to be in the Shenandoah Valley. The cost for that's $175, and the, the easiest, we have a really easy registration system. You just pay your $175 online at wearestore.com, select the Men's Retreat 2018 as your giving fund, boom, you're in, and we're going to be going. So that's, uh, it's also a holiday weekend, so Sunday and Sunday night and even into Monday morning, you're going to have plenty of time to recover and to chill from uh, a, a great weekend together. And we also ask if you believe in what God's doing in our church to continue to give to it or to start giving to it, and you can do that online at wearerestore.com. So we got a new series that we're starting off this week, and I want to nerd out a little bit at the beginning of it. Um, with some, We're going to do some context into some scripture that we're using as kind of a springboard into this new series that we're calling Healthy. Uh, I think we've all experienced those moments where we're kind of like have a slow night once a month, you had a slow night. Uh, around here and it's like 10 p.m. and you're like I'm gonna go to bed early tonight like I'm tired I'm gonna get like a solid eight or nine hours of sleep you get in bed you click on the phone the iPad and the next thing you know you're looking at fails videos on Instagram you're looking at a movie trailer on YouTube and then you're googling like how tall is Bradley Cooper and it's like 2 a.m. and you've just totally like gone off the rails by a deep dive I want to I don't want to go off the rails but I do want to do a little deep dive into the context of Matthew, because we are using two scriptures from Matthew to bookend this new series that we're doing. Um, the scriptures fall in this section of the Bible that's called the Sermon on the Mount, and it's my fav personal favorite section of the entire Bible. I love the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's three small chapters that just pack a really powerful punch, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So before reading them, I think it's 
important that we kind of dust off the Western, um, you know, individualized dust from our glasses so that we can really understand what's happening in the book of Matthew and, and how, what kind of implications it still carries for us today. So Matthew was one of the original 12 disciples. Something that was unique about him was that he was a Roman tax collector. Um, he was a Jewish man who worked for the country or the empire that occupied his people. So he was thought of as a traitor, a sellout, someone who people would not like. And yet Jesus invited him into the circle, which is really interesting. Jesus has a habit of doing that, including and inviting people who most people would marginalize or ostracize because of some social flaw. That's how Jesus rolled. So Matthew is one of the original 12. His manuscript, uh, the, the book of Matthew manuscript, had more manuscripts survived than any other gospel historically. So it's thought of as a lot of times as, or in its original and its translations, as probably the most accurate because there are so, manuscripts, so many manuscripts that survived. His biography was also the early church's favorite. Uh, more people refer to it in the early church than any other of Jesus's biography. So it's another really pop. Back then, it was really popular. It's still really popular. The reason people, scholars think it was so popular is because it's highly organized, like an accountant wrote it. All right, it's very detailed and organized and structured because he was a, he was a tax collector. There's a rhythm to it, and there's actually five distinct sections in the book of Matthew. Section one which is where we're kind of jumping off of today, that is ethics. It's Matthew 5 through 7. What Matthew did here is he gathered what he thought were all of the most important and repetitive and um, <clears throat> uh, popular sayings that Jesus spoke, and he recorded them in these chapters. Um, it's, a lot of people make the mistake of thinking this was an actual Sermon on the Mount. It, most scholars believe it wasn't. It was not an actual Sermon on the Mount. It was a bunch of different nuggets from different parts of Jesus' ministry that Matthew compiled and put right there at the beginning of his book. Basically, as this is, these are the ethics of the kingdom of Christ. This is what it's all about. So when you read it, it wasn't like a 10-minute sermon. It was three years' worth of, uh, of nuggets that Matthew grabbed and put at the beginning of his biography. Section 2 is about missions. It's a collection of Jesus' sayings about serving and going and doing. Section three are parables, which are parables are symbolic stories that carry truth. And Jesus spoke in uh, parables oftentimes to make a point. Section four were instructions for community life, like how do you treat one another? Um, how do you reconcile? How do you forgive? How do you confront sin? Like all of these different things were included in section four. And then section five, I nerds label it eschatology. I, I call it truth bombs about the future. That's what Jesus is talking about here in section five. He's like, Jewish leaders, I'm going to tell you, what you how you got it wrong and how my kingdom is different than what you've expected from the Messiah. And then he predicts what's going to happen in the future. And that's how Matthew ends his book. So our jumping off point is in section one of Matthew's biography. And it's in Matthew five. And we're going to read one verse. It's Matthew five, chapter I'm sorry, Matthew 5, verse 13. And if, you, if you've read this section, it's going to sound very familiar. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. 
Now, where we land, if you can turn one page or two pages over to Matthew 7, that's our starting point for this series, the end point. And I don't think we're going to be there in six weeks. I don't think we're all going to be at this. This is kind of a lifetime journey. Um, but, hey, we, you know, let's, let's, be, let's shoot for the stars here. Matthew 7, and I'm going to read verses 24 and 25. So this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So it's interesting that Matthew ended with these quotes from Jesus here. He says, uh, verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. I like to translate this as the rain of life came down. The streams of life rose and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And that's where we're headed. He wants us to be salty and then he wants us to have that, the foundation of our life built solidly on the rock. And the rock is a uh, metaphor for Jesus. He later refers to, uh, or, or the New Testament later refers to him as the cornerstone, like the, the foundation piece of a house. Um, he's known as the rock, and that's what holds everything together, and that's what he wants us to build our lives on. That's where I hope we end. I hope we are people who can withstand the storms of life. Yesterday, I was sharing this earlier with John, I had to coach Little League flag football, um, not willingly, because the coach that they assigned to our team was apparently not a real person. It was someone named Brian, but Brian does not exist. So everybody showed up, and there was no coach. And I told Carrie, I'm like, I'm tired of coaching. I just want to sit in a lawn chair and eat and drink stuff and watch my son play sports. But that didn't happen. I had to coach. So I was like, give me, give me the roster. I'll coach. We got beat like 50 to nothing. Um, it, was a, it was a fiasco. It's... We had all 11-year-olds on our team. The other team had all 14-year-olds. How do you think that went? I was really close to putting some flags on and just saying, all right, let's get it on. Let's go. Like, I'm almost 40, but I still got enough in the tank to maybe keep this thing close. It was really frustrating. And the kids in the huddle, at, at, in the second half, I think we threw five interceptions. All of them were pick six. All of them were returned for touchdowns. There were a few kids in our huddle who were on the verge of tears. And I'm like... I'm trying to be, like, externally, I'm being peppy, like, big deal, this is no big deal. Internally, I'm on fire. Like, I am, like, uh, there's a lot of emotions uh, when you're competitive. But one thing that I was really bugged by was they were soft. Like, I couldn't believe kids were getting upset over a silly flag football game about losing. I'm like, seriously, like, I just wanted to give them, like, a life teaching. Like, let me tell you what it's like when you're an adult, all right? You think this is tough? Like, that's what I wanted to say. But that's not going to work with 11-year-old boys. Um, so I, I just kept it at being peppy. But the storms of life are going to come down. And we, are we going to be soft? Or are we going to have our foundation built on the rock? And that's where I hope, I, like I said, I don't expect this series to like tie every bow off and like completely build every brick in the house and, and be, hey, we're going to be good in six weeks. We're going to be rocking it. But I do hope we can build some of that foundation or rebuild in some of our lives if we've gotten off track in that process. And so we're going to be working our way through that. And to get there, the, the, uh, the six weeks that are in between Matthew 5 and Matthew 7, 
These are areas in our lives that Jesus wants to change so that we can continue on the journey, so that we continue to build and solidify and strengthen. Um, whether we know it or not, we're sick. All right, we're not well. We have brokenness and, and problems that he wants to heal so that we can keep moving forward into this heavenly rea- reality that he wants for us. We need health in the spiritual way, in the emotional, relational, physical, and missional way. These are all areas that we need to be healthy in, and we're not. Whether we think we are or not, we, we have work to do. We, have, we need to let the surgeon do his work, the great physician. And one final note about this ethics section of Matthew. is he gives us this picture, this reality that he wants to build, the reality he presents is only possible with him leading us into it. It's what's called a messianic journey. We need a messiah. Right, we need a king, a lord, someone with authority who will guide us into this reality. And we know as Christians that only the divinity and the lordship of Christ has the power to do that. As we go through this over the next few weeks, we talk about stuff like relational health, boundaries, um, physical health, emotional health. We're going to talk about all this stuff. We're going to have... Um, we're going to have a counselor come in, my personal counselor, and talk on this. This is not a self-help series because we can't fix ourselves. This is about identifying what the Holy Spirit is trying to poke at and trying to fix and restore and heal and respond to it without, and not ignore it. Because a lot of times we, we, we sense the tension, we just ignore it. So it's important to know we need him to lead us through this. So back to Matthew 5.13. He says, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So a few notes on salt. Gabe Lyons wrote this book called The Next Christians. He says, salt is only useful when it's good, active, and engaged, doing what it's supposed to do, where it's supposed to be. Christians themselves um, as salt, preserving agents, actively restoring in the middle of decaying culture. Oh, sorry. Christians see themselves as salt, preserving agents, actively restoring in the middle of a decaying culture. Dallas Willard says he makes them salt to flavor the times, we well, like that, through which they live. And then salt is really an, uh, uh, an ancient symbol. Um, it's a sign of friendship in ancient Israel in Numbers 18:19, which is in the Torah, like the first five books of the Old Testament. Um, that the Jews held sacred. It says, Whatever is set aside from the holy offerings the Israelites present to the Lord, I give to you and your sons and daughters as your perpetual share. It is an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord for both you and your offspring. Uh, In regards to this section of scripture, David Guzik, who's a theologian, says, Salt speaks of purity, of preservation, and of expense. So a covenant of salt is a pure covenant. Salt stays a pure chemical compound. A covenant of salt is an enduring covenant. Salt makes things preserve and endure. And a covenant of salt is a valuable covenant because salt was expensive. So salt makes something that is average good. It makes something that is great greater. That's what salt does. So I've been getting into cooking lately. I've been really getting into coaching flag football, and I've been getting into cooking. These are my two hobbies right now. I read Anthony Bourdain's kitchen confidential this summer uh, on a trip I like to read that kind of stuff when I'm off and break from school it, like just fun stuff and I was enthralled all right he not only is he a fascinating or was he a fascinating individual 
uh, really good writer and great storyteller and just really enjoyed his book and it really just got me thinking so this summer I bought a chef's knife and I've just been experimenting more in the kitchen to see what kind of things I can kind of turn out and it's been a lot of fun doing that then living in the DMV I mean we live in a really amazing culinary city I mean how many amazing restaurants do we have in this entire region where we can just check out and and just enjoy really good food and really good atmosphere uh, I had I ate at a brand new restaurant this summer uh, it was called BLT Steak. It's down by the White House. I was doing a wedding down there. The rehearsal dinner was at this place called BLT Steak. And not only do I love really good food, but I love it when someone else is paying. I mean, it just tastes even better when you can just continue to eat and not worry about paying the bill. They brought out, the first course they brought out were these, they look like giant muffins. They're called popovers. And apparently they're kind of a big deal in the D.C. area. I've lived here for seven years and never heard of them. But BLT steak is famous for their popovers. And essentially a popover, it looks like a muffin. It's cooked in like this really deep like muffin tin. And the ingredients are really simple. Flour, milk, butter, and Gruyere cheese is what's mixed in there. And it's this huge muffin. They bring it out. So I took a bite of it and was instantly mesmerized. I couldn't believe how good it was. And then they brought out these... So this is how I kind of work when food gets to the table. I don't wait for them to finish setting stuff down. I just start diving in like, oh, yeah. So they were putting down these dishes of house-made butter. So once I took a bite, I'm like, oh, that's really good. And then I grabbed some butter, and I, put, and I broke the, the, the popover oven, put some butter on there. It was melting. Oh, it's amazing. Then I took a bite of that. Amazing. Incredible. Then I noticed they were working their way. The server was working his way around the table, sprinkling Himalayan pink sea salts on the butter dish and so once he did that I took more butter with the salt on it and put on the popover and it was miraculous I mean it really it was like a divine experience the the combination of ingredients and it was all because the the cherry on top so to speak was the salt on the butter and then combine that with the the ingredients of the popover salt just took it over the top and that's how Jesus was as well like his first miracle was at a wedding party where they were partying so hard for so long that they ran out of alcohol. And he's like, I got this. All right, he turns water into wine. All right, he continues the party. And not only was it just wine, the master of the ceremonies tasted it and couldn't believe how good it was. He says, this stuff's incredible. He made the best wine. And that's how Jesus made great parties even greater. Christians take great things and make them greater good things make them greater and like when we start living as the salt uh, of life and living like jesus did that's what happens we start flavoring the times we start preserving those moments or those happenings that are already good and keeping them there so that they don't they don't erase they don't disappear whatever salt touches it it makes it last longer it improves upon what already exists and jesus says that is what you're supposed to be like. You are the salt of the earth. So now we have to think, now, you know, 2,000 years later, what already exists around me that I can flavor or improve or preserve? Um, I saw this video this week. Um, I think Nike made it. Uh, I also read Phil Knight's biography this summer. That was fascinating. The founder of Nike. He went to the University of Oregon, which I don't know if it's still like this, but back in the day, it was like the big running school for track and field and cross country, like Prefontaine. It was huge, and that's where Phil and I went to school, and Nike's a huge supporter of the University of Oregon. And I saw this video this week 
put out by either Oregon or, or Nike where uh, there's a young man with cerebral palsy who has these goals and he, he runs for the University of Oregon. So I just want to show this video for like two minutes. Check it out. So the young man was already doing something amazing, and Nike just sprinkled some salt on it and added flavor, and it, you saw what kind of an impact just a small act made of being salty. A few weeks ago, um, we have a, a new friend of Restore. Her name is Lenise Rojas. She has a ministry called City of Refuge. They meet in the living room. They serve detained Guatemalan and El Salvadorian uh, immigrants, and they, they, the, our living room is just a couple blocks away. Um, just a space we have in the city and I did a Q&A with her and if you weren't here you, sh- you need to listen to it. it it was I think the last Sunday of September it's on our website you can listen to all our sermons on there what you won't hear though is that day Carrie and Marie Claire were leading worship and Marie Claire is a Spanish-speaking immigrant from Dominican Republic and she was here and heard Lenise's story and then just on a whim MC decided to sing the last song of the day in Spanish and there was, it was no preparation. It was totally unplanned. And it was beautiful. It was, it was like salt of the earth. Like a really great moment. 
made even better when she just followed the Spirit's leading in that moment. It was just a small act, but it's something I know the few of us that were in attendance that day will never forget. Um, just a powerful moment of what it looks like to be salty. doesn't require much extra for us to do more. It's just recognize in each moment of the day the opportunity to preserve and to flavor and improve upon what is already happening. And that is our starting point. That's how we want to be as Christians, but that's not how we are sometimes. We, we miss opportunities. Maybe it's because we're tired or uh, something's caused us to be deluded, to lose some of our saltiness. Maybe we're distracted. Maybe we're just more self-absorbed than we used to be. Or maybe we've just forgotten how to recognize the power of a moment or an opportunity to, to, to be salty. Jesus warns us about this in that same verse. He says we can't lose our saltiness. Um, salt is surprisingly strong and durable and pure. It won't change on its own, but as we know, it can be diluted. And that's what Satan wants to do. He cannot take our saltiness away, but he can dilute it. And he's going to find different ways to do that. He's going to try, try to find different ways to get you to thirst for something other than the kingdom. And it doesn't have to be, it's typically not anything, it's bad. It's just something that will dilute and distract what you are, what God is calling us to do. So think about what you thirst for. Uh, because Satan will, f- will find out what that, is, what that is, and we have to be aware of that. Um, I've become painfully aware of it personally. Uh, I'm continually haunted by the immigrant and refugee crisis, um, not only in the U.S., but I, in the Middle East and in uh, Southern Europe, like with Greece and uh, Turkey and uh, Spain and Italy, these, these places where the Syrian and Afghan and Middle Eastern refugees are flowing into because they have no, and, and North African refugees flowing into across the Mediterranean Sea. They have no other place to go. Um, and it's not like over the last few years my attention has been focused on bad things. I, I feel like for the most part it's been focused on good things, but my saltiness has been diluted, and, I, and I'm just now starting to become aware of that. Um, I see God um, trying to purify and, and bring back the strength of that uh, in my life, um, of, of bringing to mind, particularly over the last six months, haunting me, with the poor, the marginalized, the hurting, the broken, um, the, you know, immigrants and refugees. And there are people like Lenise Rojas who are here locally. There are people like Servant Group International who are working internationally. Like we, our church has gone on four trips with them to serve refugees in Greece. They're already doing great things. But I sense God leading me personally to sprinkle salt on what is already happening because I want to preserve that. I want to support that. I want to help with that, um, enhance it if that's possible. And in order to do that, I have to consider my choices. And I'm enjoying that journey, um, but I'm also concerned for your saltiness as well as my own. Every day of your life is filled with choices, especially if you have an education, a job, a church, family, friends, kids, bills, it goes on and on and on. The older we get, the more choices we have that are available to us in life. We have, in, and particularly when you live in like a first world country like this, we have a, almost endless amounts of opportunity to do things with our time, our ability, um, our, our money. And we have to ask ourselves, because we have these endless choices, am I being diluted by them? 
Is Satan actually subtly using them to spread me too thin so that my saltiness is diluted? I've, I've lost some of mine. Have you lost some of yours? That's what we have to ask ourselves. I read something the other day on, on Facebook. It says, nobody talks about Jesus' miracle of having 12 close friends in his 30s. And I read that, and I was instantly connected to it. I was like, yes! I'd never seen that or heard that before. And I'm 39, and I think it actually stretches from your, you know, your 20s into your 40s. It's why I'm glad that we have empty nesters in our church, because we need them to speak to us that I think the 20s through the 40s, this, my opinion is, I think those, that's the biggest um, section of our life where we have the most choices. We have kids a lot of times. We've got more career opportunity during that section of life. Um, you know, financially, that's when we start, you know, as you get into your 30s and your 40s, that's when you start to, you know, if your career path goes well, financially things tend to improve. So we have all these different choices. I, I read that and I'm like, whoa, it's really easy for us to get distracted. Uh, and, and just that little quote alone made it, made it, you know, reminded me of how hard it is to be a good friend when you're distracted, let alone follow the Sermon on the Mount and be salty, as Jesus wants us to. Um, I'm concerned with y- your saltiness and my saltiness because of the choices that we have, and every day is filled with them. Um, choices that can bring more heaven to earth, give you and others deeper experience of the kingdom of Christ, refugee support, prayer, you know, reading scripture, like the, the, you know, the daily Bible reading plan that we have, uh, the men's retreat, the women's Bible study, missional community, Sunday worship gatherings, discipleship huddles. Um, there's a lot of opportunities for us, for God to um, focus our saltiness and lead us deeper into the kingdom and also with that lead others deeper into the kingdom and these are the opportunities that I want you to consider and we're not and like obviously I'm not going to the women's bible study but there are opportunities that we have in front of us where God wants to do something and you have to consider the choices you have because a lot of times the choices we make are between something good and something heavenly you know, it's not, it's not really, it, the, the, I think the easiest choices are between good and evil. Like a lot of, like we have a tendency to be able to start to identify those pretty quickly in our lives. But do we have the discernment and the health spiritually, emotionally, and relationally to identify the difference between great and heavenly? Because there's a big difference. And that's what the reality that Christ is trying to call us into. That's the choice that keeps us salty that prevents us from being deluded. And I'm including myself in this because I, I have seen that in my life. Wow, I need to make holier choices, choices that will lead me and others into a, the heavenly reality that Jesus wants us to live into. So in order to improve and enhance and preserve, in order to be the salt of the earth, we have to be spiritually healthy. And that's where we're going to go in the next six weeks. And my hope is that over the next few weeks, you might regain or rediscover your saltiness just enough because um, that's kind of how God works sometimes he like sprinkles some breadcrumbs to just get you a little further that's what I'm hoping like six weeks I'm not I'm not gonna be like hey the, the world is gonna change in six weeks it might but if we take one step of discernment towards more you know a more um, holy relational health or emotional health or decision-making process 
then that's a good thing. That's a win. And here's the end game. This is what I want to close with, again, reading this scripture. Let's really, um, let's go ahead and close our eyes. I'm going to read it out loud, and then I'm going to close in prayer. And then we're going to sing one more song. Let's let these words sink in. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Let's pray.